All right, guys, welcome to the show. This is Hunter, your host, and I'm here with Samong Yang. Did I say that right? That is perfect. Nice. What's up, dude? Dude, not much, man. Like I said, hunting season is just over, and so right now we're trickling off into the off season, and yeah, I don't get to sit in front of my computer for once. <laughs> I know the feeling, man. It's like during the season, you're just trying to like keep your head above water, and like you're just you're like, oh, I'll clean that when the season's over. I'll do that when the season's over. Like you're just like getting through in a good way, but you're just kind of getting through, and now it's kind of like catch up on everything. Oh, absolutely, man. Like I said, as much as I love hunting, sometimes I really do enjoy just being at home for once. <laughs> so, yeah, man. Um, how many hunts did you do this year? Oh, man, I don't really keep track, but I would say <laughs> I did a lot. <laughs> yeah. Usually when it's August 1st, well, because our fall bear season here in Washington opens pretty early. I think it's one of the earliest ones. Yeah. And so I get a pretty much a full month of hunting before a lot of people open and a lot of people start hunting in september but i get the full month of august to do fall bear so right pretty much it's august 1st until last week like i've just been out doing stuff man yeah i guess that's it's different because like you're out there you can kind of hit it on weekends or like after whatever you got going during the day or whatnot for me it's like hunts you know like i go somewhere you know for a period you're just like hunting the whole time probably. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really nice to just have everything that I can hunt in the backyard. Yeah. I don't have to dedicate like, okay, this is my, this one trip. It's just like, oh yeah, I'm free yeah. for a couple hours. I'm just going to go hit the mountains. Like, but it's I guess really like something that I take for granted. How many like multi-day kind of hunts did you do this year? Oh, well, it's funny because even though a lot of my hunts are just in my backyard, I try to maximize my efficiency. And so I often try to plan multiple days out anyway. So yeah. probably this year, I'd say probably a dozen or so where I was out more than just a day trip. You know, I mean, when yeah. this is kind of your job, it's you get a lot of time, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what I try to do. Okay, so you, you're you in to content creation full time then. You don't have another job right now. Nope, this is all I do. That's awesome, man. All right, so... um. Let's back up a little bit. Um, I met you last year at the expo, but I knew about you before that. I think I, I'm sure I saw your stuff on social. Um, I don't know. Were you on the Peon Wild podcast before? Yeah, yep, you've done some stuff. Time. Yeah, you've done yeah. some stuff with them. So I think that's where I first like learned about you. And then, um, yeah, we tried to do a podcast at the expo. It just was crazy and didn't work. And I've been wanting to like for a long time. Finally linked it up. So thanks for coming on the show, man. No, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, dude. Um, so tell people just a little bit, um, if they're not familiar with you, because um, I know you're on the other side of the country from me, um, but like, just tell people a little bit about like what you got going on, who you are, that kind of thing. Yeah, so my name is Samong Yang. I was born and raised in Spokane, Washington. That's actually still where I live. This is where nice. I've been my whole life. And so a lot of my uh, life has been heavily around hunting and fishing just because my dad's always been into it my uncles mm -hmm. they've always been into it it's it's been more than just like a hobby it's always been a lifestyle because my parents and my uncles they're they're refugees they're from laos and laos is a very poor country so okay hunting is just a natural way to sustain life okay and so when they fled from laos basically from the vietnam war they everybody just you know scattered wherever they could go and my parents and my uncles they landed here in spokane washington and like hunting is so 
it's so primal in a way where it's like it doesn't just necessarily leave you mm -hmm. and so when they came here to the states like they started looking up hunting and they wanted to go out hunting and so when i was born i was i'm actually one of the youngest ones in my family and um my dad kind of just drug me along and then i just kind of you know was right in there with hunting and fishing and then um it kind of just snowballed into what it is now and so like i always tell people it's like i don't really know life outside of hunting and fishing like if you took <laughs> hunting and fishing out of my life like I, I don't know where I'd be in life, honestly. You well, know, I'm I mean, with you, man. Literally, it literally has shaped my career, and like, I'm very grateful to say that because I know there's a lot of people who, who have tried this stuff and they just kind of gave up over time because it's a lot harder than many people realize. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, and, and so it's it's a very basic in a way of a backstory. Like that's just kind of how I've always known life, and that's just kind of where I'm at. No, dude, not basic at all. In fact, I want to dig into that a little bit. Um, and I know what you mean about being harder than people think. Cause like, um, I'm just now getting, to, and don't, I, people don't hear me and think I'm whining about being able to do this full time, but I'm just now to the point where I'm like, okay, I'm looking forward to starting to plan next year. Like the first couple weeks after the season, I was like, so just like physically and mentally done. I was like, ah, I don't even want to hunt anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, not really, but like, I wasn't like mentally ready to start, but I'm already now I'm already like, like making plans for next year. So, um, I definitely feel you there, but okay. I want to dig into this a little bit. Cause that's super interesting to me because I'm married to a refugee. Um, my wife is Iranian and, um, I think it's really interesting different people's pasts and cultural stuff. So if you're cool with it, I'd love to talk about that a little bit. Um, so you're Laotian, um, your parents, like you said, were f first generation from Laos, correct? Y yeah, technically. So yes. how old were they when they came over? So they were probably in their 20s. Okay. Probably right around my age if I had to um, guess. I don't really know exactly when they came over. Because the thing about Laos, when you're in a third world country, they don't have birth certificates. Like, So I don't, <laughs> even, I don't really know my dad's actual yeah. age. When they came over, they kind of just threw up a number, and so this is kind of how That's old so I am. That's so funny. My wife's well, birth certificate know. is like written on an index card with like handwriting. <laughs> yes. Yeah, literally. And yeah. so that's why like when people are like, "How old are your parents when they moved over?" I'm like, "20s." I don't. I don't really know. They don't have an exact answer. <laughs> that's funny, man. Um, well, it's cool. Like, I don't know. I just think it's fascinating. Like, so many people, especially I live in like near Washington D.C., so it's tons of different cultures and ethnicities and like i don't know everybody almost everybody has like a really interesting story and like um i don't know to me it's super interesting so your parents came over you were born here correct correct obviously yeah you're not that old um <laughs> and so do you speak laotian or is that a language yeah, or so, what's the language so we're actually Hmong, which is uh okay. Hmong people is a very it's it's almost like a tribal thing in a way where we're mm -hmm. we don't have a country we're just scattered everywhere and yeah, so sure. um yeah Hmong people they're just kind of i guess you could say these subgroups that are just located all over the place so like the, the actual language and then um are what we are is actually just Hmong, which is h-m-o-n-g and so you have a lot of uh people that live in Vietnam, Laos, uh, China, obviously the U.S. now, Australia, France, anything. And really, it, it really diversified when the Vietnam War happened and all the Hmong people were just fleeing to wherever they could find refuge. Mm -hmm. um, but prior to that, like the very, the main focal 
uh, countries that we were in was Laos, Vietnam, and Thailand, and China, you could say. Like, those are pretty much the four main countries that we uh, were in. But obviously now, uh, you can pretty much find Hmong people almost anywhere. Granted, there's not a lot of us in general, Mm -hmm. but there's enough to say that there's Hmong people living in certain countries. Okay. And so do you speak Hmong? Yeah, so uh, I'm I'm actually fluent in Hmong. I'm one of the last ones that can actually speak and understand it. <laughs> That's awesome. So is it similar to like any Chinese or Vietnamese or anything, or is it like completely different? Or no, it's as far as I'm concerned, it's pretty much its own dialect. Um, there's there's really not too much similarities in terms of another language that so I'm like, aware of. You couldn't go and speak to like a normal like Laotian person in that language. Like they'd be like, "What are you talking about?" Uh, they could probably understand me, but I probably won't understand them. <laughs> uh, that's funny because also my wife, she's from a like ethnic group within Iran. She speaks a separate language too. She speaks Azari, but also mm-hmm. Farsi. Um, so that's that's really interesting. So, um, and I'm assuming that that culture also has its own food and dishes, huh? Yep, it's basically. It really is its own culture. Yeah. Like I said, the only reason why we're not really known is we just don't have a country, right? Because yeah, yeah. usually when you associate culture, you have a country to associate with. Right. But because we're so nomadic, like we have our own culture, but because we don't have a country, it's we're often clumped into just whatever country that we're residing in. Gotcha. So what's the food like? Um, it's actually very basic um, because like I said, Laos is uh, or wherever we were from, it's such a poor country. You don't have a lot of stuff that you can use, right? So a lot of the stuff that... Um, Hmong people eat is just like boiled meat. It's stew mm-hmm. because obviously when you're dealing with poor countries, stew is the easiest way to get the most amount of food. Yes. And you can take cheap meat. cuts and make them amazing. Yes. And so pretty much that's a lot of Hmong cuisine is uh, revolves around stew. That's why even today, like when we go to like deer camp or squirrel camp, stew is still pretty much at the top of the list, right? Yeah. Because that's just the way it is. Um, obviously, there's other more sophisticated dishes. Obviously, now with uh, just how the world has gone, you're, you have more access to different ingredients, uh, better quality foods. It's evolved a little bit, but the really the pinnacle of the Hmong culture is really stew, in my opinion. Over rice? Uh, rice and stew go hand in hand. That's yeah. pretty much it. Like well, rice and stew. I know I keep bringing up my wife, but same with her, man. Like our food, and we eat Persian food every night like every day and it's very much stew based like when i ask them how do you want me to get my deer or my elk cut up they're like stew meat which is like cubes and that's mm-hmm. how we do like almost everything and everything is not everything but most stuff is a different variation of some kind of stew over rice but it's like so good and you know when i was um i remember i brought home my first like whole deer and my mother-in-law lives with us and I was like, you know, expecting she'd be like, ew, you know, or whatever. Um, no, she was like teaching me how to butcher this thing because over there, they they don't buy like packaged meat. Like they buy a hindquarter or like a whole lamb or whatever. And then they they process the whole thing by themselves. And, um, you know, they they can take stuff that like most guys leave on the gut pile and make it like the best meal you've ever had. Like just yeah so i'm sure you guys probably are pretty good at that too huh <laughs> yeah i'm definitely not as good as my dad but we don't really typically try to leave the gut pile behind we usually try to take that stuff with us too yeah yeah man so is your dad the primary cook yeah whenever we go to deer camp he's usually the guy that cooks okay 
That's cool, man. Um, so did he hunt in Laos? Laos? Yeah, and so it's such a it's so weird because depending on where you were in Laos, some parts got raided by the Vietnamese really hard, right? And so like my mom's side, which is basically the vast majority of my uncles that live in Spokane today, they basically had to actually flee uh, soldiers. Like they, they lived in the jungle. My dad, he doesn't really talk about his side much because like that, he... He just he didn't necessarily have to go through the same hardships as my mom and my uncles did, right? Mm. And so, uh, it's my dad. He kind of hunted in a way to to sustain himself, but like my mom and my uncles, who literally were living in the jungle with nothing, mm. they had to hunt, right? And so a lot of that's why if you just look at my um, the structure of my family today, the most successful hunters in my family are actually my uncles. Right. Mm-hmm. My dad, he's just kind of he walks around the woods and obviously he knows how to kill <laughs> stuff from time to time. But if you're looking at the people who like who truly understand animals and how, how they behave and stuff, it's actually my uncles. Yeah. And I, I, I derive a lot of my hunting experience and, and knowledge from them because what they used back then, it makes us seem like we're in the most bold. Like my uncle is shooting stuff with jungle made like slingshots. It's like, how do you <laughs> even make that? Right. And so like um, my mom and my uncle, that side of the family, they they really had to hunt to survive. And honestly, the truth is, like, it's a miracle that they're even alive because just how the hardships they faced. My dad, he, he yeah, he kind of had to flee in a way. But hunting for him, you can say, I mean, it was still for sustenance, but in a way it was a little bit more lenient where he didn't necessarily have to hunt. Um, but. I guess it's just a mash of both worlds, right? You have mm-hmm. one side that really relied on hunting and the other side where it didn't rely on hunting. Of course, I'm talking in the context of you're still living in a third world country. So when I say that you don't have to rely on sustenance or hunting for sustenance, you still kind of have to rely on hunting yeah. for sustenance. Yeah. Okay. So I guess what's what's your favorite Hmong dish to use to make wild game? Yeah, it's it's funny because uh, so so it's not really a Hmong dish. I th- I believe this is uh, an actual Laotian dish. It's called okay. la or larb, L A R B. Okay. So it's basically just ground meat, and uh, you brown it, and then you just throw in a bunch of these herbs and seasonings and and stuff. And so basically, it's just a uh, dish of ground meat, but it, it's just the best thing in the world. Like I, I don't really know how to explain it because okay. it's so. It's, I don't even know how to explain. It. It's like it's so simple in a way, but it's also yeah. so not simple in a way where it's kind of like i don't really know how you explain it so yeah yeah l-a-r-b is uh, how you spell the dish okay. his name do you guys like to process your own deer and elk and stuff oh yeah we never take it to the butcher and honestly yeah. i'm at a point where it's like i should probably start taking them to the butcher because when you when you have this as your job like sometimes you don't have time to sit at home and butcher stuff but like i said my mom she's so good at this stuff so like many times when i bring home an animal like i'll be like i'm so tired I'll do it tomorrow. And the next day I wake up and it's like, everything's already processed. <laughs> and, and I'm just like, Oh, thank you, mom. Like, I appreciate that. And then I go hunt. You oh, know, it kind of goes back to you, like your mother-in-law, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you would think that the, the, the women in the house don't really know how to do it. But then when you give them me, it's like, Oh wow, yeah. They're actually a lot better than I am. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's awesome, man. I love that. Um, okay. So, I'm just taking a look at my notes here. That's that's super interesting stuff, man. Okay, so once they got here, they started getting into hunting. And, you know, hunting culture, I don't know how it is out there, although I got a little taste of it. Um, anyway, all I'm trying to say is hunting culture can be, you know, kind of good old boys, slightly redneck, 
you know, um, I think things might be a little different on the West Coast. I'm not sure, but did they have any? Um, did they experience any like uh, pushback or like kind of like weird looks and stuff being Asian American and then kind of getting to the hunting culture, or is it pretty smooth transition? You know, it's actually um, it's it's actually been pretty nice. Like I don't really recall anything too drastic. At least from what they've told me, there hasn't been much. Because as far as I can remember, even as a little kid going with my, around with my dad, usually the people we run into, like they're they're just super nice. Yeah. Um. Obviously, from here, from time to time, like I, you run into people who just aren't very nice. But I don't really know if that has anything to do with um uh, just just the race itself. Because <laughs> many times, like back then the, the the community was a lot smaller back then obviously yeah and so usually when there's somebody who who is just kind of an, an off guy or who's just mean usually they're just douches to everybody right so, <laughs> so it's not it's like yeah. you can't really just pin it to a specific race or like yeah. that's the reason why he's no for dude. sure it's yeah. usually like the all the locals know of one dude or a, yeah. or a group of guys were like yeah those guys are just they're not. just jerks yeah <laughs> Yeah. And so I can't really say anything in, in particular to our race, but yeah, well, that's good. like, do you run into jerks? It's like, yeah, from time to time you do. Yeah, of course. Well, that's good to hear, man. Um, yeah. And I know that the Pacific Northwest has a very vibrant hunting culture and I just did my first hunt out there in Oregon. Um, mm -hmm. that was my last hunt and, uh, had a great time, man. It's a real, I mean, I don't know exactly how, <clears throat> how similar Southern Oregon is to Washington, um maybe you know but um i don't know are they similar um or do you know south, have you ever hunted south, southern oregon i have that's actually where i shot my blacktail too oh nice um so southwest and southeastern oregon are two very different atmospheres mm -hmm. they're obviously both dry climates but if you just look at the terrain of it it's very different southeast oregon is very similar to southeast washington it's just a big long stretch Kind of like the Hell's Canyon area, where it's just steep, dry mountains. But if you go to the southwest, it's more like that conifer type, where you have mm -hmm. those thick brush, and uh, it's like Northern California, pretty much. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's 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 a little bit different in in southeast or southwest Oregon. There's nothing like it in Washington. Okay. Yeah, I found it very. Um, it was pretty diverse. I mean, there was like you said, big conifer like forests. But then there was that kind of stuff that I kind of associate with Northern California, like kind of rolling grass hills with like oaks. Yes. Which is really pretty. Um, I'm trying to think. So my buck was in a clear cut, but it was a huge clear cut and it was kind of in a more timbered type area. But um, yeah, man, um, very, very beautiful, unique place to hunt. I really enjoyed it. I think I might go back next year. Yeah, my the, the so the two dudes that took me out, like they're just black tail studs and they're like, dude, like we gotta come back next year. And I'm like, say last man, like with what you can do with the general season tag, it's like it's unbelievable. Yeah, especially this year with how they kind of bump stuff back. And um yeah. I feel like everybody hunted Oregon this year. Did you feel like that too, or is it just like yeah, me? I, like I was biased because I went. No, I feel like uh, a lot of the people that I follow <laughs> on social media like yeah. ended up in Oregon at some point or another. Yeah, me too, man. Um, I guess, you know, when you get those good over-the-counter opportunities, you just can't pass them up, you know? Oh, yeah. And and I don't want to give away too much, but, man, Oregon's a pretty dang good state to hunt. <laughs> Dude, yeah. You did, did you see a picture of my buck by any chance? I did. It's an absolute <laughs> slob of a blacktail. Dude, it doesn't even look like a blacktail. <laughs> That's what people were saying about my deer, too. People were like, man, is that like a bench-leg mule deer hybrid? I'm like, no, it's a yeah. pure 
blacktail, but that's just the way they grow down there. Yeah, I sent a picture to Jeff from PN Wild, and he was like, oh, how close to the PCT were you? That thing was like a mule deer. But I was like, <laughs> nowhere close, man. Um, yeah. He's just a freak. But, uh, yeah, I think I might have to do it again next year, man. I'm thinking about my strategy is apply in Montana and Colorado, just for Montana general. Mm-hmm. I have like three or four deer points in Colorado. And then doing – if I if I draw Montana, I'll return my Colorado tag because you can do that in Colorado. If I don't draw, that'll be like my backup. And then do Oregon, hunt the last few days of the season, then drive to Montana and or Colorado and do like a little – mini deer tour thing dude that sounds like a good deal yeah i'm actually applying for montana which i'm pretty sure my odds are like 100 because i have three preference points which i'm pretty sure they cap mm-hmm. it at three points and so yeah i'm like guaranteed to, i don't want to say guaranteed because point creep might be a thing but yeah you know i'm basically guaranteed to draw montana next year have you hunted montana yet uh not i've hunted spring bear once in 2021 okay and that's the only tag i've held in montana if you do draw do you have um and like east west side of the state do you know yet or no it's just a general season so so the main right but do you know which way where you want to go um yeah probably so for elk it'll probably be like central and then uh deer will probably just be western because i have a buddy who lives in missoula and i mainly wanted the deer tag to go hunt with him yeah because we've known each other for well over a decade but we just never gone out and hunted yeah I'm a little bit partial to eastern montana just because i think that like breaks country is just so unique Mm-hmm. Um, but I saw some nice deer while I was, um, elk hunting this year in Montana in the Western part of the state. So I don't know, man. Um, anyway, should be fun though. So you're already looking to, I guess you're already kind of looking ahead towards next year and doing planning or have you started really diving into that yet or? Yeah, I, I actually took it another step. Usually I never do this, but I actually like wrote down everything on a spreadsheet and I printed it out and I'm like, I'm telling all my buddies, like, these are the hunts I'm applying for. Like, don't try to plan anything on these dates because I probably won't show up for it. And so, yeah, I'm, I've, I've already have all my applications. They're, they're all right here. They're all printed oh, out. Oh, nice, man. Dude, I'm basically, like, already have all this draw odds calculated and everything. And all I got to wait now is for the season to open or the application wow, season. okay. Man, you're you're ahead of me. So, can you give me a rundown of what you're thinking about doing? Or is that top secret? Yeah. So, so I think uh, one of the things... So I don't know about you, but as somebody who does this full time, like I've had this overzealous motivation to like hunt as many places as I can. Right. Yeah. I've come to learn is, man, you burn out really fast as much as you love it. Like, man, like it's a lot of work. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of effort. And so what I'm going to do next year is I'm going to tone back in terms of quantity of hunts and just really focus on making each hunt that I do go on just a good hunt. Right. Mm-hmm. So instead of spending a couple of days here and a couple of days, there, it's just like, let's just spend one big long trip or long week for this particular hunt. So cool. the main three states I'm going to do next year is obviously Washington because the vast majority of my viewers are in Washington. Like that's where I made my bread and butter and that's where I still do. And so like, that's just kind of like a given, like I can't not hunt Washington. Right. Mm-hmm. And so Washington is pretty much an over the counter state, the draw, the special permits, it's, it's, you have such a low odd of drawing. So I never really count on those anyway. Um, but obviously your typical Washington quality elk though, you know, shoot for the moon type of stuff. If I get lucky, then I'll get that stuff. But then yeah. Oregon, Oregon's actually a relatively high odd in terms of non-resident. I mean, I have three spring bear points and that's basically a guaranteed draw. Mm-hmm. Um, buck deer, which is, uh, which in Eastern Oregon, it's all a draw for mule deer. 
I have three to four points next year. That's basically a guaranteed draw for pretty much the entire Eastern Oregon. Like any unit I want to draw, I can pretty much draw it. Nice. But the reason why I don't think I'm going to burn it is because, man, Blacktail is Blacktail's over the counter, right? And so yeah. why would you burn points? Keep banking them. And so that pretty much that. And then like obviously Oregon Elk, I don't really know if I'm going to do it yet because just because of the season dates, they overlap with some of the other hunts that I want to do. Mm-hmm. And so pretty much it, it'll just be Oregon Blacktail for out of state and maybe Oregon Spring Bear if I somehow muster the time in the spring to do it. Mm-hmm. And then Washington over the counter. And then obviously I have the Montana General for deer and elk. And then obviously with Montana, they're so generous with their seasons. It's like yeah, you have all the way from September pretty much through December to hunt. And so you can just kind of pick and choose when you want to go. But those are basically the three states I'm going to focus on, Washington, Oregon, and Montana. Nice. Uh, I know Idaho's tags go on sale in three days or something like mm-hmm. that, but I don't know if I'm going to fight the crowd for that. Yeah, I was thinking that too. I don't know if Idaho's going to factor into my plans or not. Um, I might just log on, and then like if by some miracle I get like a really good choice, I'll grab yeah. one. But if I don't, I just probably just won't get anything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, it's just, there's so many, there's, I don't know, people like want to whine a lot and I get it if you like, if you were used to buying tags in the eighties or something, but if you're younger and like me, I've only been doing Western hunting for like four years. So like, you know, it's a, it takes a little bit of research and time and maybe making a spreadsheet or whatnot, but uh, like there's yeah. opportunity out there, you know, like you can get tags. Oh, absolutely. That's why I tell people it's yeah. like. Even for me, as someone who gets to hunt full time, I still feel overwhelmed that I can't mm-hmm. even do all the hunts that I want to do. Yeah, you, you really just kind of have to sit down and actually be tedious with your time and uh, do your research to look at what's available and what's not. Because yeah. I think as much as people, and, and it's true to a certain ex- extent, that yes, opportunities might be harder to come by. Like there's still ample opportunity to just get out and hunt. Totally a lot right. of states offer over-the-counter tags, you know, and, and mm-hmm. or even if it's not over-the-counter, like your draw odds are pretty dang high, even with just a couple of points. Yeah. And you don't have to, like, this is kind of part of my whole spiel is, like, you don't have to wait to banks, like, seven antelope points in Wyoming or something. Like, you can go out and have a really good hunt for, like, a zero or a one-point draw or, you know oh, yeah. what I mean? Like, start small. Mm-hmm. That's kind of my thing is, since I'm from the East Coast, is kind of trying to inspire guys and educate guys that, uh, you can go out West, you can do it DIY. Um, doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but it can be done and you don't have to wait years. You don't necessarily have to hire a guide. Nothing wrong with a guide to especially when you're starting out, but, um, there's just like, yeah, I feel the same way, man. It's like, there's so many things I want to do and so little time. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think it's a good thing that we still, we can still say that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, tell me, um, tell me a little bit about your season this season. Cause I've, yeah, I caught glimpses here and there. I know you got really, you killed that really uh, beautiful, um, just classic chocolate horn, four point black tail. Want to hear a little bit about that? I think you got a nice bull this year and you got a really nice bull last year, but um, yeah. run me through your season, man. How did it go? Yeah, this year it's uh, prior to the season. I told my buddy Nate, I was like, man, this year, like, I don't want to make any mistakes. Any animal I shoot, I want to, <laughs> like, I just want to kill it. Right. And so obviously like my season starts in August with the uh, Washington's fall bear season. Yeah. A couple of times, seen some bears, seen some, it was just a weird August to say the least, like, like opening day. Right. My buddy and I were set up on a small bear. He's a shooter. Cause he spotted it. And I've never once had this happen 
in this instance where like we've had hun- we had hunters shoot over us at the bear whoa yeah like like nate and the guy that shot it were literally seconds apart from pulling the trigger on the same bear wow. right and so obviously they hit the bear and uh, the, the guy came down and like obviously we didn't know they were there they did not know we were there yeah. it was just a whole like oh my goodness like we had no idea we just saw the bear we shot the bear right <laughs> and so they, they came down they were really cool he he actually was a viewer of the channel <laughs> oh nice like, dude, like i feel so bad and i'm like dude like it, it's not really anybody's fault this was just kind of yeah. like a one million oper- chance to happen and so that was opening day and then uh i did a couple other hunts too just kind of exploring uh hunts the thing about the the most like maybe the last decade if you will is like we we have wildfire it's basically a fire season in the summer right and in, in, uh-huh. at least in late season late summer it's still pretty hot when that fall bear opens isn't it oh yeah sometimes you're in the you're still in like 90s Jeez. you know so the the problem with some of the wildfires it's good in the long run for habitat but when you have fires like that always constantly coming through it's like sometimes the spots that you want to hunt it gets closed or it gets burned and so you're constantly having to shuffle around where you want to hunt. Um, but anyway, the next hunt that I really, anything really happened was actually with the PN Wild guys. They invited me out. Jeff took me to his good old spot. And sure enough, that that was just a, it was just a crazy day. And like Jeff was talking about it. He was like, man, this is like the most successful, unsuccess, unsuccessful day of hunting ever. Right. <laughs> so we went that day. It was me and the full a crew with PN Wild, Zach, Bob, and Jeff. And pretty much all four of us at that one point or another throughout the day, like we all had a bear in our crosshair. Right. Okay. Like it was just crazy day day of hunting jeff shot a bear he missed me and bob did a crazy stock up just to figure out that the bear was like 50 pounds when we thought it was like a 200 pound bear and so we did a death hike up there like the sketchiest hike i've ever done never doing that again for my life even if you put a 450 inch bowl i'm never doing that hike ever again so we come back down to the creek bottom and like at that point it's late in the day and i'm like man it doesn't make any sense why all the bears were spotting are so high on the mountains because the huckleberries by the creek, which is where we were at, mm. was so it, it was everywhere. Like we have never seen huckleberries that lush before. Mm. And so as I'm complaining to Jeff how we just did a death hike up there and like there's no bears on the bottom of the creek, like it made no sense. And so as I'm saying that, sure enough, I spot two bears, like just side by side, like two medium sized bears. I still don't know why they're together. Maybe they're just like three-year-old siblings i don't know maybe it's a i don't know how late sow's going to heat sometimes i don't know if she had i don't know what's going on all we knew was there was two medium-sized sow or a cup not cubs bears together mm-hmm. and so at this point because earlier that day we actually dropped off all our guns we only had jeff's gun and so i'm basically up to bat now and i'm going to use jeff's gun i've never shot his gun before and so i'm kind of going based off of what jeff is telling me and obviously i shoot bear dumps on the spot we all think it's a kill and now because zach's also got a tag we're like okay i'm gonna shoot the bear dump him i'm gonna get off the gun zach's gonna mm-hmm. drill the other one right and so obviously this is when sometimes you ask for a little bit too much and you end up with nothing right so we sh- i shot my bear the bear got up and ran off but we never saw it because we were so focused on the other bear right. that Zach shoot and so Obviously, I wounded that bear, couldn't recover it, and we had a hike out of this absolute hellhole. And that's why I told Jeff, I was like, Jeff, you will never find me in this spot ever again, <laughs> unless I'm with you or or with a crew to pack out. Yeah. So that's how I started off my season. I started off pretty wonky. You know, it's like yeah. you, you practiced all year with the rifles. And I told Nate, it's like prior to opening day, I told Nate, I was like, this is the most confident I've ever gone into a season with my rifle. You know, I, I got a new rifle and obviously in this case, I didn't shoot my rifle because I was using Jeff's gun. 
and uh, it didn't work out. And so after that happened, I kind of just went back to reset mode. I told myself, like, all right, from here on out, like you really got to make sure you capitalize because you can't keep on making these mistakes. And as bad as it is in that instance, I didn't get the bear and, and I wounded the bear. Like it really um, put me back in reality check. And I think from here on out, like I was pretty much game on at this point because everything else I shot after that point was basically dead and so after that um i went down to squirrel camp that's just kind of an annual tradition that we started doing like in 2021 now it's just fun yeah. it's just like it's a game rich opportunity hunt mm -hmm. and so like you're guaranteed to almost shoot something down there For granted sure. this year i don't know what was going on i don't know if the winter was bad or what was going on but everybody that i knew was struggling to find squirrels <laughs> i don't know if it was a Isn't bad it funny how like when you're squirrel hunting they're never there and then when you're just walking around they're everywhere <laughs> it's so funny because it was true when we went our when we went on our deer hunt in November. There were squirrels everywhere. Yeah, at least there were squirrels in the spots where you normally won't see squirrels. Right. But yeah, I went down for a squirrel camp first week of September, and then after that, I actually did my first solo backcountry hunt here in Washington with the archery elk tag. Ooh. I went in solo for twelve days. I had Dang, uh, dude, like twelve yeah, days straight. Twelve days straight. How'd you carry that much food? Dude, well, well, the thing is, like, this this hunt is, uh, I basically want go and sit at a wall, right? And okay. so I know I wasn't going to be hauling all this weight with me all the time. Basically, if I got to my base camp, I drop off all my weight. Yeah. And so I went in with, like a ninety five pound pack. I mean, it's heavy, but like understanding the the hunt, it's like okay, you're carrying ninety five pounds right. to base camp, and then from there on, you're not carrying any weight. And so prior to this, I actually scouted. I have a trail cam on this wallow. And uh, I just got pictures of this bull. I call him Boomer Six. And he's been coming in pretty much for like the past several years that I know I've known of him. I've known of him. I think I remember seeing that trail cam photo you posted. Yeah, I, I'm just like, like that's the bull I wanted, right? And so I'm he's just a giant bull. He's he's regressing at this point. He's an old, mature, just big old bull. And so I went into that hunt knowing that the chances of me killing him are super low. But I was like, you got to try it, right? This is yeah. an over-the-counter hunt. So it's like over-the-counter archery, public land hunt in Washington. It's like literally one of the hardest hunts you can do. And so where I'm hunting in, in Northeast Washington, like the units are actually any elk for archery uh, in Northeast Washington. The reason a lot of people get it mixed up, right? They're like, oh my goodness. Like they read the regulations. It's any elk for archery. They think that that must mean that there's a lot of elk. It's not true. They're, they open it to any elk because it's such a hard hunt that they yeah. fishing game knows that even if they open it to any elk, there's not enough elk that are going to die. That's why they can open it to any elk. And so I go is into it that. Just, it's just so thick. Is that why it's so hard? And it's just... thick and it's, it's very low elk densities. Okay. Like if you hunt Northeast Washington and you see a cow elk, like you are ahead of like 95% of people. Like <laughs> there's, there's not a lot of elk wow. and people don't understand that. Like when, when I bring up the difficulty of Northeast Washington, people will be like, oh yeah, I've, I've been on hard elk hunts. I'm like, you might've been on a hard elk hunt in Montana <laughs> or Colorado, yeah. but you don't know what Northeast Washington is like yeah. because it's, I've hunted Montana for elk. I not, not as a tag holder. I've tagged along. I've tagged along in Idaho. I've hunted in Oregon and I've hunted other parts of Washington. And I'm like, there is not a single elk hunt in the lower 48 that is harder than Northeast Washington with an over-the-counter season wow. tag. People are like, why? And I'm just like, I don't know how to explain it. Just There's just it. no elk. There's just no elk. <laughs> and, and like, so how you know, deep like, back I, are you in this 12-day sit, basically? So so, ba so base camp is like four miles. Okay. And so from, from what's your camp, plan if you actually kill one? Like just multiple trips and just hate your life for like three days? 
Yeah, well, well, I'm very lucky that I have a big family and I also have buddies now. Okay, so like, yeah, yeah. They were always just like, dude, the moment you say Elkdale, I'm like, we're on our way. Like, okay, everybody's just sick. waiting for me to send the the message. That's so awesome. I'm just telling people, I'm like, it's probably not going to happen. I'm never probably never going to send a elk down message with this. So anyway, I went into that 12 day hunt with the, with the goal to kill that one particular bull. Um, I had three cows, a cow and two calves come in, could have shot her like three different times, but I just ended up passing her because, uh, like I said, when you hunt one spot for so long, you understand uh, the dynamics of the elk herd. Right. And like, I might, my family's been hunting this particular area for like 20 years. Mm. And so you, you know, like how much elk there are and how rare elk come by and when that cow came in and i saw she had two little calves with her, i'm like dude i can't take her because yeah. i was like i kill her i'm basically killing three elk wow. unintentionally killing two elk with her yeah and i'm like dude, like these three elk right here are so precious to me like i just cannot kill these elk that's just solid. because it, it's, it's almost like you micromanage your herd right as mm-hmm. hunters that's kind of what you do but it's like because my family's hunted this spot for so long we've seen the ups and downs of this herd and that right now it's like it's basically at its worst condition right wolf populations are at its highest grizzly populations are growing black bears are growing at this point uh mountain lion populations are insanely high on day two of that uh that um 12 day hunt i actually heard a cougar killing a deer like 300 yards below me whoa you know and so it was like the craziest sounds i've ever heard out of a deer yeah try to go down there obviously never saw it but it, that, that's kind of the point i'm trying to bring up it's like northeast washington's elk herd is so it's so bad it's like even though i can legally shoot a cow elk it's just the you no, guess you good, the conservation part in you where you're like that's not right yeah like that's... i can't do that if she was a lone elk a lone cow elk maybe you know yeah. but the fact that she had two little calves with her i just couldn't bring myself to shoot her and also it was the big idea was i was actually there with the goal to kill a boomer six my big bull and he just never came in and so that was basically the first part of my september and after that i actually had an idaho elk tag for archery but okay. i was like dude if i go to idaho i'm gonna do another seven days alone i just spent 12 days alone like i want to be with somebody at this point dude 12 and days so- alone dude that'll freaking wear on your mind dude especially sitting on one spot yeah like, i dude that takes some next level like um you you're a single right i am okay yeah um I'm going to go ahead and say, like, for me, that would not be possible. (laughs) Like, by, like, day seven, I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I got got three little kids, so I think there's a whole different level of, like, but still, man, that's that's hardcore. It is. And and honestly, (laughs) it it really is a mental thing, right? So I think I calculated, I think I sat, like, 112 hours at the wall or something like that. Um, But it's. I don't know. It's just one of those things where it's like, it sounds hard and it is hard, but when you actually go and do it, it's kind of like, you're just chilling. Yeah. You know, like, you don't really think about it too much. Um, but yeah, that, that hunt didn't pan out. But as I said, I expected that hunt to not pan out. So the fact that I even had a cow elk come in, I was like, man, this is already a win in my book. <laughs> and so I, that, that, uh, week after season closed in uh, Washington, like I said, I had a valid archery, uh, elk tag in Idaho and it's actually still valid right now for late muzzle loader. Oh, nice. But, well, you can kill a cow, uh, right? Right now, it's actually bull season. Oh, is it? okay. So there's a bull season right now. And then uh, December 2nd through the 8th, you can go and shoot cows that's like within a mile from private property. Yeah. The reason why I'm not doing the muzzleloader hunt for Idaho this year is because Idaho still has their traditional muzzleloader rules where you can't yes. use 209. So I my muzzleloader is a 209. Okay, but and Washington so, has pretty strict muzzleloader rules too, doesn't it? It, it does, but... 
You can use two and nine powder. Yeah, which is it's so backwards, right? Because you're used to Idaho being super lenient on regulations, but yeah, when it comes to muzzle loaders, it's it's swapped. Yeah, and so I think there's actually a proposition that came out either early this year or last year to change the rules in Idaho to make it two hundred nine legal. If it wasn't for that that single restriction on my muzzle loader, I'd probably be out there right now. But mm. to to convert your two hundred nine muzzle loader into a traditional muzzle loader and then having to go and find a load for it right now during season. I'm just like, man, like it's just too much of a hassle. Yeah. So sure. uh, we'll see what Idaho does next year. I think it would make sense that they would switch over to 209. Although know. side note, I did a really fun muzzleloader hunt this year in New Mexico with no optic. And mm. that was really fun, man. It was almost like an archery hunt. Yeah. Cause I think, I don't know about those regulations, but in Washington and Idaho and like Oregon, like we can't put a scope on our muzzle loader. Yeah, like this, it's all, it's, they it's all just they just switched this year in New Mexico to open sight, and yeah. I drew it's everything else you can do. It's just no no uh, optic, but anyway. Yeah, yeah, no, I and I think for a muzzle loader, I actually think that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I do too because a honestly, a lot of guys when they get a scope on there, they can send you know they can send rounds at the range and you know hit gongs at 400 yards. Okay, cool. The velocity of the projectile past like 150 is so low, especially yeah. on an elk. Like you really shouldn't shoot an elk past 100 or 150 with a muzzleloader, in yeah. my opinion. I mean, yeah. I shot mine at like 80 yards, perfect shot. I had to shoot him two more times before he died. Yeah. They're just so tough, man. Yeah. Mu- muzzle loaders, they're really powerful up close, but then they yes. lose their velocity and energy really, really fast. Right. Just because those bullets have such poor ballistics, right? Yeah. They're not meant to be long range shooters. That's right. why uh, when people were like, man, I-, I think in Utah too, right? I think there's a proposition to remove scopes off a muzzle loader mm. or, or something like there's been a lot of buzz about it. And honestly, like you, I agree. I think with when it comes to muzzleloader hunting, I think open sight's the way to go. Yeah. I just think that's it's it, it provides at least a challenge because once you put a scope on your muzzleloader, I feel like you're not even really muzzleloader hunting anymore. You're yeah. basically just rifle hunting in a way. Right. And right? with a deer, so, I think you could get away with a 300 yard shot probably. But like elk, man, like I don't know. This after this is my first elk hunt actually, and um, but just after killing one and seeing how tough they are like i would i would not want to shoot one past 150 with a muzzleloader even if i you know accuracy wise could do it yeah and that's the thing and even in idaho right now it's it's even more it would be even more crazy because they're still only allowing you to use those round lead balls oh dude yeah and and so it's like you lose those are even weaker oh terrible your 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 modern like ballistic tipped yeah bullets right and so that's why I don't know how what Idaho is going to end up doing, but I really hope that they do change it to 209 because as long as they leave it scopeless, I don't really think it's going to affect success rates all yeah. that much. Yeah, you know? agreed. Anyway, I got us on off track, but you were saying, you were, I think you were just getting to the end of your 12-day sit story. Oh, yeah. Or yeah. maybe you and finished then, it. I don't know. Yeah, and so basically I was going to do a solo Idaho arch elk hunt. Got so tired of being in the woods by myself, and as as I was returning on my twelve day hunt, my buddy Nate was actually leaving to Montana for his archery elk hunt, and so the next day I woke up, and my buddy Nate, dude, my phone was blowing up on because my <laughs> Nate was texting me through Zolio, and he was like, dude, like there's elk screaming everywhere in here, like what what do I do? Like he doesn't like he's asking for like tips, right? And I'm like, dude, like, are you really on elk like that? If that's the case, like, I might just want to come down there. Because, I, I mean, I sat there for 12 days, didn't hear a single bugle, right? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm just dying to hear a real elk, let alone see a bull at this point. Yeah. 
And so Nate basically hunted that day. Bulls were screaming their heads off. And so I drive like eight hours to go meet him in the middle of nowhere. And where we were in Washington still. No, this is Montana. Oh, okay. Yeah. So where we were, it's, it was a brand new area for both of us. And I meet up with him and he's like, man, like day one elk were screaming the next day, which is day two for him. Like he got like eight inches of snow and like the, the activity just died off. Wow. And so he's like, he came back, he hiked out that day. And that day, that evening, I met up with him at the truck and then he's just kind of giving the spiel. And then the next day after I arrived, it was going to rain all day. And he's like, man, if we're going to backpack in, I don't want to go and set up the stuff with wet gear and just be miserable. Yeah. So we took the next day off. And then the day after that, we hiked in when it cleared out and we got in there and same results do like bulls were just lighting their heads off by themselves. And we're like, this is it. <laughs> well, what we didn't know, which I wish we would have known uh, prior to going in the hunt, right? Hindsight's always 2020. Always. He, we just don't understand what was going on because his first day in there, the bulls were going off. Our first day in there together, the bulls were going off. But what we ended up learning throughout the hunt was those two days were just two off days. Like, I don't know why. Maybe there was a cow that just went to heat and they were just lighting it up. After that, it was quiet. Like, bulls oh. were not talking. It was dead silent. Mm -hmm. And the ones that you do hear talk, they were just like squealing or just mumbling a little bit, right? And so anytime you would make a move, they would go quiet. And the next time you hear them, they'd be like four ridges over. Oh, yeah. You're like, you're like, okay, these elk are just really pressured at that point. But yeah. obviously, we learned this at the tail end of our hunt. And so by the time we figured it out that like, okay, we can't keep doing this because they're already too educated. Like we ran out of time, right? Mm -hmm. And so we came back. And then uh, after that, uh, I went, we did his Oregon high country mule deer hunt. Went into brand new country once again. And uh, it was it was a fun hunt. This film was on, on the channel spotted some beautiful deer and pushed it to the last day day seven he shot us he shot a forky we were on the clouds with with that forky just because of what we went through oh that. yeah i remember that post yeah yeah and then uh yeah we saw like a beautiful 170 should have killed that buck he was bedded in this one cave we spotted him like 1600 yards away bedded in this cave and we got to like 260 yards of him and when i told nate i was like dude the only reason why we won't kill this buck is because of the sun because where this buck was bedded, the sun was directly above him. And we're looking into the sun, right? And I told Nate, I was like, dude, if we go in right now with how the sun's positioned, if we glass him up, like he's going to see the glare on the optics. And obviously, Nate, he's, he's still relatively new. And I'm not going to blame him for this. I'm just like, he he kind of kept like, ah, I don't think it's that big of a deal, right? And so for me, it's like, I'm, like, I'm pretty sure it's a big deal. But again, he's the tag holder. And so he's kind of, I like, I'm like, what if I'm withholding him from the opportunity to actually yeah. shoot a 170, right? And so I'm kind of like, all right, you talk me out of it, whatever. Like, let's just go. And so sure enough, we get to our knob and we can just know the cave. He's better behind some trees. And so I sneak, sneak like 150 yards to the left because Nate told me to go look into the cave to make sure he's still there. Just in case we were waiting for no deer. I glass in there. This is like 300 yards. And I'm glassing there. I'm like, oh my goodness, this thing is huge. <laughs> just bedding in the cave. All I see is just the head. He's so smart. Like he's tucked in the cave and all he, all you can see is his head, like just poking out. Wow. And I'm like, oh my God, this thing is huge. So I sneak back to Nate and I'm like, Nate, like that, that buck is still in there. Like, let's go to where I just was and we'll shoot him. Or or whenever he stands up, gives you a shot, we'll shoot him. Right. What I didn't know was as I was coming back to Nate. I'm pretty sure that buck saw the glare on the binos, right? Mm. And so as I come back to Nate, I'm like, Nate, dude, I am so dehydrated and, and uh, hungry because 
basically that whole day we didn't eat or drink because we were out of water and we didn't want to eat because when you eat you get thirsty and so we were basically starving ourselves and not drinking anything and so i when i got back to nate i was like dude i have to go and eat something before we go and shoot this deer and so i literally leave nate to to drop down like 50 feet of elevation to our packs where we dropped off our packs and as i'm leaving that nate looks back up to the general area where that buck was bedded and there's a small clearing between the trees the burn trees and he sees the rump of a deer kind of like trot off obviously he's like i don't know if i actually saw a deer because when he put his vinyls up never saw it i come back and he's like hey i saw a deer get out and i'm like okay well it could be the other buck that he was with and so i'm like do you want me to go back and check and he's like yes go do that so i run i go back to the spot where i glassed into the cave I get over there and I look back in there. There's still a deer bedded in there. So I'm like, oh, he's still there. Perfect. I go back to Nate. I grab Nate back and I go and sit there. And I'm like, man, this deer is not positioned the same way he was earlier. Because earlier, all I saw was literally the head. Now I can see the whole shoulder of the deer and the head. And so we're looking at it and Nate's setting up. I'm like, dude, Nate, like, I don't think that's the same deer. <laughs> Obviously, his little buddy now has come embedded there because uh... I think... He saw the basically did a switcheroo, right? Yeah, yeah. He saw the glare. He didn't. He saw something he didn't like. He ran off. Never killed him. Damn. That was basically the story of that that big. Buck. And then did you it, shoot it, that small one? I'm pretty sure that two point that he was with, we passed him up that that okay. day, thinking we were going to relocate the four point. But three days later, on the last day out, I think we ended up shooting that forky, <laughs> which I don't know how, but that's just the way it ended yeah. up working. Yeah. So, so goes, that man. that was like the first week of October, and then um. The week after that, I did, uh, it's Washington's modern firearm season, mm-hmm. um, opening day deer camp. I spotted like a, just a, one of the craziest deers I've ever seen. Like he's a mainframe four by four, but on every single time he had split. Oh, so wow. he was like a six by six, something wow. like a young deer, very young deer, but he just had a good potential. I put a stock on him. He was basically in an impossible spot to kill, but I just told my brothers, like, I have to at least give this stock a shot. Yeah. Went out there and got to like 150 yards, but just where he was like it was impossible to kill him like he obviously took off he was smart yeah. he was there for a reason and so i came back and then that week during the weekdays um because my family they all go back to work i basically have this whole week to myself and i'm like you know what i'm gonna go and uh just hunt this this crazy spot that i know of which is it's so treacherous it's like you're basically hunting cliffs and i'm like there's probably nobody that's gonna be crazy enough to hunt in there yeah so i threw a i packed up like three minutes or three days worth of gear just last minute bonsai trip hiked up there saw tons of elk saw tons of deer and on this my second day which is my only full day in there i glassed up like a 154 by four like i'm between me and camp and uh it was like 4 30 in the afternoon and i'm like dude like i gotta make a three mile loop to the other side to get a shot with like an hour 30 minutes left of light but i told myself like this is it like i I'm, I'm out here to kill a deer. Why am I going to pass up an opportunity? So I make that three mile loop. And uh, basically it was just a picture perfect hunt. When he walked out, his three does came onto the face I was set up on. He sure enough, he followed them and uh, one shot with a seven PRC at 425 yards. And he just went down. Nice. I'm so bummed about that hunt though, because uh, I had everything on film, right? Everything's filmed on my phone. I'm, I'm kill shots on film on the phone. But as I'm coming back out on that hunt, like, I don't know why I was so dumb, but I dropped my phone in the water and like uh, the phone just wouldn't turn on. Oh no. And so I don't have the footage. That's why with that uh, nobody has seen a photo of me with a gripping grin because I don't have the photos. Yeah, I was like, I don't remember this. I don't remember this deer. Yeah. So all I have, so I actually have two phones, right? So I have my dedicated uh, phone scope footage phone, which I record on. And I have my typical, you know, your yeah. everyday phone. So I took some crappy photos with my everyday phone. 
just for the sake of it so i could post on instagram and then yeah. all my good stuff is on the phone that fell in the water ah, dang it and so like all Can't my get a waterproof case bro dude that's what i said i'm like <laughs> what am i doing with my life <laughs> so i sent it in the other day or the other week to this uh salvage recovery place oh, yeah. and uh, they said i should know by tomorrow whether or not they can recover it so i haven't heard uh, back from them i sure hope they do that you'll recover it because i'm just t- i kept telling everybody i'm like dude out of all the animals I've killed, like this kill shot was like the sweetest I've ever like filmed. And like just the footage of the animals I recorded on that hunt, it was just like, it's, it was spectacular, right? Like yeah. I saw a lot of, okay, close range, close range bull elk with the spotter, with the phone, like dude, everything is so crisp. Yeah. But I don't have any of it as Dang of right it. now. And so I, fingers crossed that I get good news tomorrow and they say yeah. that it's recovered, but Hope that's so, basically man. what I did uh, during rifle season. And then, uh, like I said, I did uh, also the last five days of october for idaho's rifle elk season i didn't know what i was doing i just went out because i just had a valid tag for it didn't see anything saw some deer that yeah. was it and then uh november this is first week of november this is when i went down to oregon and yeah. uh yeah i gotta give a huge shout out to colin and jason man like they're they are blacktail wizards okay like they just they just know how to get it done with those blacktails and uh i don't i i don't really know where you hunted but just by looking at your pictures like we i'm sure we hunted the same general region just because of the terrain or the habitat yeah but yeah this hunt was crazy i've never killed a blacktail before right yeah this is my second year this is my second same. year black hunting and so i went in i'm like dude no expectations i'll be happy to shoot forky going in with the mindset to shoot like a dude i, I almost know. shot a forky the night before i shot that monster and i'm like <laughs> so glad i did it yeah it, it, it's like that's why i told them right? i was like i'm like dude it's my first blacktail i don't really have standards i just kind of don't want it to be a spike yeah, And so uh, they actually hunted the week before because according to them, the week before, which is pre-rut, they usually see more bucks yeah. cruising around during the pre-rut. The week mm-hmm. before, uh, basically the last week of October to the first week of November, yep. they see the most amount of buck activity on that week. But when they went out that week, they literally saw zero bucks. They saw a bunch of does and all the does had no bucks. And they're like, hmm. we don't know what's going on. And so they thought that the following week, which is the week we went, was going to be a total bust too. But when we went, it was pop it was different light like completely switched the hunt yeah we hiked in this was probably the most miserable i have ever been on this hunt <laughs> so i drove from home from spokane to portland which is like a six and an hour drive and then i get to their house like at 10 o'clock p.m and i stayed there for like two hours and then we drove all night from like midnight from seven midnight to seven o'clock in the morning didn't sleep at all got to the trailhead and we packed up and we, we when we got there it was like sleeting. It was like hailing. There was Ugh. snow on the ground and the winds were like 40 mile per hour winds. Right. And I'm like, I don't really know what to do. Right. So I'm kind of <laughs> just going on their lead. I'm like, if they go, then we go. If they stay in the truck, we stay in the truck. And they're like, all right, let's just go. And so we go. And it's like, it's so bad. We get like halfway to our, our destination. Was this stop. like the, around the first or second of November? Yeah. I, I don't know. I think uh, I think there was two storms because I know there was a storm first because that's where the snow came from. Yeah. And when we went there, we just got, I don't know, we just got hit with a different storm. Okay. And then because then around like November 5th to 7th-ish, there's we got some snow in my area. Yes. So this was right around November 5th because I shot okay. my buck November 7th. Okay. Right? Yeah, they so were like, like uh, the top of the mountains were getting snowed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah it was like all whited out. And, and to them, they were like, this is really odd because usually they don't get snow around this time of the year mm-hmm. yet. And so anyway, we go like we get halfway and they turn back. They're like, man, I think this is a mistake because we're basically <laughs> we're basically soaked to our core. 
Yep. Everything, our packs are wet. We're just like, okay, this is this might be a terrible idea. Anyway, we get to a spot and it's like, we're just going to set up camp. We're just going to rough it through. So it's like we set up our camp and the winds are so bad. Like our stakes in our tent wouldn't hold the tent. Like it would just fly off. So what oh we had to go goodness. do is we had one guy hold the tent. And the other two guys went and found rocks to go put inside the tent so that the tent literally could not fly off. Jeez. So we probably had like a hundred pounds worth of rocks in each tent <laughs> to just hold the tent in place. Wow. And it was terrible. And not only was the wind bad, but the rain was so bad that rain was somehow getting underneath your rain tarp and it was pulling up inside your tent. Oh and so I gosh, get out dude, and like terrible. basically you're, I was soaked from base layer. All my rain gear was wet. All my puffies were wet. Socks were wet. Backup clothes were wet. Everything was so everything you touched was just damp. I get in my sleeping bag. My sleeping bag felt like I was sleeping in a pool oh and I'm just gosh. like cinching up everything as good as I can. This is like two o'clock in the afternoon, but because we pulled an all nighter the day before, I was so tired. Like I basically slept through all of this misery. Right. Ob obviously, I woke up throughout the night here and there. Yeah. And it was like nine o'clock. I woke up after like seven hours of sleeping and I'm like, dude, I got to use the bathroom so bad, but everything is so wet and nasty. I don't want to move. <laughs> And so I stayed in one position all the way until the next morning. And it's like seven o'clock. At that point, you probably could have just peed in your off. bag and warmed yourself up. That probably would have been the right <laughs> choice to do, honestly. It wouldn't have hurt to be wet or wet at that point, you know? But seven o'clock rolls around and wind dies off. Everything's just Dude, I always have a pee damn. bottle or an empty peak refuel and peeing it in my tent. Dude, that's actually a great tip. I wish I had that. <laughs> but it, it was just terrible. Like, that, that sounds horrible. That was the worst night of sleep that I've I've ever had. And Jason, that sounds like borderline dangerous. It is. It's yeah. it's pretty dumb. <laughs> you know, I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. And Jason, he he actually had an even worse night because he still has those Walmart sleeping bags, Ugh. and it's not even like a mummy bag. It's just those ones where it's like a it's almost like an envelope. <laughs> yeah. Where you kind of just slide it inside, so he doesn't even have the opportunity to like really cinch yeah. the heat out of your body. And so he was shivering all night. Jeez. And so. Colin, he actually was bone dry. I don't know how he was bone dry, but he was, he slept like a beauty queen, man. Like his sleeping bag was dry. He was so warm, zero degree sleeping bag. And so he woke up, me and Jason did not want to get out of our tent. We were just like, this is horrible. I hope the sun comes out so we can dry stuff off. Well, Colin, because he's all dry and warm, he gets out of the tent to go glass that morning. And so he goes in, off to the north side of the ridge and he glasses for a little bit. He sees a donut fawn. Uh, well, at first he just saw deer. So he came back and he's like, hey guys, I got deer. So we, we get out, me and Jason get out and we go over there and Colin's like, yeah, it's just a donut fawn. And I'm like, wow, that's a good way to get me out of my sleeping bag. I like just, just we saw a deer. And so at that point, we're like pulling everything out of the tent to dry out for steer, our gear. Yeah. Laying them all out on these trees. And I'm so cold, right? I'm like, I don't know if it's better to put on these wet puffies or if I'm supposed to just wear my base layer and try to dry these out, right? Yeah. It was so cold, but I was like, you know what? I'm just going to put these puffies on because it's at least it's some kind of insulation. So I put it on and then a calling, he was glassing the North face. He finally, he finally uh, comes back to our tent to glass the South face of that ridge that we're camped on. And as he's glassing, like I'm so miserable at this point. Like I don't even want to do anything with hunting. I don't even want to touch my optics. I don't even want to glass. <laughs> I just want to dry up and be warm. Yeah. And so I'm still talking to Jason, like me and Jason pretty much had a very similar night, just a horrible night of sleep. And we're talking how miserable it was. And all of a sudden, Colin's like, hey, guys, like, I'm, I've got a big buck. And I'm like, what? Like, it can't like it can't be this easy, right? Like, come on now. And so Colin's like, hey, I, I'm pretty sure he's a big buck. Well, what I didn't know is that when it rains like that and these deer are wet, when that sun hits them, they literally shine. 
Yeah. Like that, those deer will shine. And that's why Colin was like, yeah, when you class, like you want the sun to be hitting these blacktails because if the sun doesn't hit them, they're literally almost impossible. So hard to see. Yeah. So hard to glass up. So that's why the moment Colin saw the sun hit that one ridge below camp, he's like, I got to go glass it because that's just, he just knows how to glass for blacktails. And so the moment he got over there, it took him like two minutes to spot a deer. And he finally gets on, gets us on it. And we're just like, oh, my goodness. Like, this thing is freaking huge. This is the buck I end up taking. And he's just like nose on the ground, like tailing. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, this is perfect. And so I'm almost like, man, what do we do? Do we wait for our stuff to dry? Because I'm a little miserable. I don't know if I want to go down right now. But Colin's like, hey, like, let's just go right now. So I'm finally like, you know what? I came here to kill a deer. I'm not going to sit here and whine about being cold. So we pack up, we go down to this knob in between camp and deer. This is like 500 yards away. And as we're going down, I'm like, dude, it cannot be this easy, man. Like we can't just wake up, spot a big buck from camp and go and shoot him, right? Something's got to go wrong. That's how hunting goes. So sure enough, we get to that knob and sure enough, all the fog from the bottom mm-hmm. starts coming up. And I'm like, yep. this is what's supposed to happen. And so I'm talking to the camera. I'm like, this is what's going to happen. We're going to have to sit here all day. Well, like two minutes go by, the fog clears out and we can see again. And I'm like, okay, this is just too picture perfect. Obviously, at this point, we don't know where the deer went because uh, we haven't seen them for like an hour. Yeah. And what they actually ended up doing was the doe, the hot doe actually went embedded. And so the big buck actually went embedded with her. But because they were bedded, we couldn't see them. And so there was a different buck. It was like a maybe like a three and a half year old two by three. He comes up and he's he's trying to get the hot doe, obviously. Like all these bucks know that that doe is hot. Yeah. He's coming up and he's just like trying to get the dough and that this big buck will get up and just keep running this buck off. And all of a sudden we're like, oh, dude, we could pull a double here. Like we can even pull triple because now we're like seeing bucks all around this dough, but none of them just can't get can go can get close to the dough because that big buck's obviously guarding her. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, all right, Colin, you spotted the buck. You can shoot the big buck. But he's so selfless. He's like, man, I've already shot plenty of big black tails. Like you can you can take this buck. And I'm like, all right, cool. And so finally I get set up and I sneak down a little bit more. It's like 400, 500 yards between there. The buck eventually gets back up from his bed and he starts chasing a different doe. And they're like, they're like running everywhere, right? Yeah. So I'm behind the gun and I'm like ranging like 420. I'm dialing my gun. He runs up to like 490. I'm like rearranging, redialing. He mm-hmm. comes back to like 420. I'm doing this constant like rearranging and redialing my gun. <laughs> and it got to the point, I was just like, dude, I'm so tired of this buck. Like I'm probably just going to wait for him to bed. Well, finally, his doe, that one hot doe goes, I don't know if she bedded or if she went and just stood behind a brush, but he finally comes and just stays there, just doesn't move. And I'm like, dude, of course, when he stands still, he's there's a tree blocking him, right? And I'm like, okay, this is just how it's supposed to go. Finally, he takes a step and I'm like, Jason, Jason's filming for me. I'm like, Jason, are you on him? And Jason's like, yep, I'm on him. Send it. So I'm like 428 yards. I'm already dialed for it. I shoot pick, picture perfect shot. But man, these black toes are so tough, right? Dude, I'm they thinking- are. I could not get over it. Mine, I hit him once. He jumped a little bit and walked. I looked at the footage again. He was quartering away. Hit him like pretty good. Second shot hits him directly behind the shoulder. 300 wind mag. He sucks it up like a bull elk and just like flinches and just keeps walking. And I'm like, what? I had hit him three yeah. times, and the third time hit him in the neck, and that dropped him. But I've never seen a deer suck up a 300 wind mag shot like that. Exactly. In, in and the, they're not I'm even like seven, big deer. Like, I don't get yeah. it. I'm shooting a 7 PRC, which is not a small gun too, right? Yeah. And and the week before, like the month before, I shot my mule there. He dropped like a rock. Yeah. Right. Every so other I'm animal like, I've shot with my gun, I'm shooting the 180 grain, like solid copper Barnes bullets. Like I said, 300 wind mag. 
it just drops animals. This thing sucked up two bullets like it was an elk. Yeah. That's literally weird. what happened to my deer, right? I basically shoulder I right behind the shoulder, he was a little coring away. And so I basically broke his off shoulder and he hunches up and he just takes off running like nothing happened. And the moment he runs out behind the brush and immediately I'm questioning myself, right? Obviously I didn't see impact because I gun recoiled. And so I'm Im- immediately talking to Colin Jason, like, did I hit him good? Because I'm like, how is this deer running? And so I'm following this deer. And as I'm following him in the scope, as he's running, like I can just literally see blood just gushing out of his side. And I'm like, bro, like, why, why is this buck still running? Like, there's no way this buck should still be running. Sure enough, he runs like 80 yards and he goes and stops behind this uh, pine tree. I can tell he's sick. Right. And all yeah. I see is this spine. And I'm like, guys, like, do, do I shoot him again? And so I'm like trying to shoulder up for another shot. And sure enough, he tips over in the scope and I'm like, okay, he's done. So I get off the gun and I'm like, Jason, get on the gun. Because now, because that buck ran off the two by three is literally right now next to the hot dough. Like he's oh, now pestering that hot dough and Jason's obviously like, he's going to take him. And so once again, like just to the testament of how tough these black tails are, the, the buck that Jason shoots is coring to him. He shoots. And obviously because of the angle, like he hits him behind the shoulder because he's not broadside. It goes like far back. Right. So all I see the deer do is like his, his left leg just kind of like blows out. Hmm. And so I'm thinking Jason hit like just the leg. And I'm like, dude, you hit him the leg, you hit him far back. Well, it was actually perfect. He hit him hit where he should have, but just because of the angle of where the bullet was going, it just yeah. blew literally through that deer from behind the shoulder to the leg. And that deer didn't even drop. Like he starts running, yeah. like running around. And I'm like, yeah, Jason, like you hit him in the, the leg, like you got to shoot him again. And obviously I only have two rounds. So I go, I run to Jason. I rechamber another round for him. He shoots the second one. We can't really tell because this wasn't even on video at this point. Cause I, we're just like, literally like, shoot this deer. If you can like put this deer on the yeah. ground, uh, Colin, according to Colin, like he shot high, didn't hit the deer. And as he shot over him, then finally, like the deer takes like three more steps and then he tips over. And I'm just like, dude, like these deer are like tiny. Yeah. It, and they're just tanking these bullets. Like I don't understand nothing. that at all. Cause like Luke, my buddy, when he shot his like a couple days later, same thing. The deer was quartering away. It went in pretty, pretty much perfect. Blue, completely blue, the shoulder on the opposite side. The thing runs. This is a 300 PRC. Beds down. Luke shoots him again, like perfectly, and he gets up and runs another like fifty yards and like struggles forever. Like I've never seen deer like that's wild, man. Dude, they're so tough, and I just gotta give it to them, man. Like they're they're just tough animals. I don't I don't know what was going on because I was like I was telling Colin Jason, I'm like I guarantee you if that was a mule deer, like he would have. Yeah. It's not to say that mule deer are not tough. They're obviously tough animals, but I think black toes are just next level. Yeah, I don't know what's up with that, man. Um, I yeah. had the same experience, dude. Like I, like I almost like my eyes don't believe I'm watching this footage and he's walking. This bullet hits this thing completely broadside, directly behind the shoulder, like textbook. And he just goes, like flinches and just keeps walking. I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah, um, so wild. But um, anyway, dude, that's an amazing story. Um, I wish we could talk long. I have to go pick up my kids from school. I just was texting no, my good. wife to see if she could do it. But um, I wanted to talk to you more about um, about YouTube and even about your faith and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe we can do another one, man. Um, yeah, absolutely. You're crushing it on YouTube. Um, I guess just real quick. Did you – do you think you like hit the timing right? Or are you doing some like secret YouTube wizardry that I can't figure out? Or like, 
because I cannot seem to get traction on that thing. <laughs> yeah, no, I think uh, I think it just comes down to consistency and uh, over time, just kind of letting your brand kind of grow itself. I don't think there's really a secret to it other than just being dedicated to it and being persistent with it. Yeah. Um, everybody that you see that's successful, there's one common thing, and that's just the fact that they're constantly doing it. Yeah. Right. For me, I'm very lucky that uh, I get to hunt and fish year round. So when a, it's it's hard to build a channel strictly on hunting, it's very yeah. hard. That's why I supplement my channel with fishing, and and mm -hmm. so you kind of build the audience from both both sides of the world, which has helped helped me grow my channel into what it is. But it's a big old rabbit hole, which it'll probably take an entire podcast to talk on. Yeah, itself. we should do another one, man. Um, because I want to just keep talking more about hunting and stuff too. But um, like I said, I gotta I gotta run, unfortunately, but. Um, this has been really cool talking to you, man. Uh, maybe we could even link up and hunt together sometime. That'd be cool. Yeah, sounds good, man. Just let me know. Like right now is the best time because it's hunt planning time. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's something I do want to do this next season is like really try to collaborate more with guys like you. Because um, I think there's opportunity where we could, you know, both come out and do our own edits on a hunt. And mm -hmm. you put it on your channel. I put stuff on whatever I'm oh, doing. Yeah. Um so let's there's a lot of opportunity, mind. man. I yeah. think I think it's a it's it's good way to help both brands grow for sure. Absolutely. Well, thanks for coming on, man. Um, you're gonna be at Expo this year. Uh, depending because they this year they overlap with the Portland show. Oh, uh, okay. So we'll see. Well, if you're there, let's connect, man. Uh, Sounds good. And uh, tell folks where they can find you if they ha aren't watching your stuff already. Yeah. So on YouTube, you could just find me at Samong Outdoors. That's S A M O N G Outdoors, or on Instagram S Y underscore Outside sweet cool man well thanks again and uh yeah let's stay in touch man um hope to talk again soon sounds good man thanks for having me yeah buddy <laughs>